Welcome this morning to, uh, to our family gathering of Cultivate. We are going through a series called uh, Invisible Made Visible. We are talking through some of the invisible attributes of God. What is God like? How do we know? And uh, what we find out as we read through the scriptures together is that we know based on what God has revealed about himself through his son Jesus. And so the, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so anything that we find that's true in Jesus we can be sure that it's actually true in God. And God was gracious enough to us to send His own Son to the world so that we would know what He's like in flesh and blood and so that we could follow Him and get to know Him. And so that's what we're doing through this series. We've gone through a number of of weeks already. We're going to continue this series through September, so just so you know in terms of time frame where we're going with this. And uh, last week what we talked about was Jesus as being the Holy One of God. What does that mean for Him to be the Holy One of God? And you can catch up through our our podcast or whatever. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus as the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. And so there are a couple questions that hopefully we're going to address as we go through and and get our minds around. Um, But those would be, what does it look like to have godly wisdom, to have wisdom from God? And then how can we know God's wisdom in any sort of given situation? Um, So we're going to eventually and maybe fully be in in 1 Corinthians 1, which is on page 791, if you're going to follow along in the Bibles that we have here. Um, But we're going to be jumping around a lot today. So let me ask this again to get started. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? We have two different words in our vernacular for something similar and, and yet they're different, right? So knowledge, we often think of as sort of the acquisition of facts. It's, it's gaining information. It's study and reading or whatever means that you might get information. But how is wisdom different than knowledge? Uh, one, one great quote from a, a pastor named J.I. Packer who wrote a book called Knowing God. He writes this about wisdom. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. You see a few different parts in that. It is perceiving what the best and highest goal is, and then having the understanding to know how to navigate your way to get to that highest goal. So you can't just have the information about it. You need to be able to, be able to walk through it to get to where the goal is telling you to go. Okay? Uh, I was thinking about this just in terms of GPS systems. Are GPS systems uh, knowledgeable? Yeah, right? I mean, they, they have tons of maps in them from all over the country. I mean, the, with street names and, and address numbers and points of interest. I mean, more information than you and I. If, like, if we spent our entire lives 
studying up all the information that was contained in the GPS unit, you probably wouldn't have much room for anything else. So let me ask this. Is a GPS system wise? Those of you who used a GPS system before, you're going, are you kidding me? Like, sometimes the route that it takes you to get from point A to point B is absolutely insane, right? Um, one of the conversations that Kyle and I have often, I'm going to give him credit for it because he's the one that wonders about this stuff, and I just pick up on his wondering and joke about it. But he goes, what, like, we talk a lot about, like, what would it look like to have a wise GPS system, you know? Like, you're driving in a certain place at, like, 10 o'clock at night, and it's leading you through, like, a sketchy neighborhood, and the GPS system says to you, you could go right in three blocks, but I wouldn't, you know? But, like... I just wouldn't go that way, you know? <laughs> like, there, there's wisdom there, right? Because there's an understanding of the environment. Like, what if GPS systems were like that, right? They, just, they didn't just have the knowledge, but they had the wisdom to get there. Some of you, in the, South Jersey is like, is, is like the, the, the only place in the country that I've been to where people, like, you can ask one person how to get from point A to point B, and you ask five different people, ten different people, you get ten different answers, Right? Because everybody has their own interpretation. Oh, don't go down that street because that light takes 45 seconds. Go this way because you'll hit a different light and that one takes 25 seconds. Go right at the second stop sign then take a left through this guy's yard and then you'll get there, right? You're like, that wasn't on my GPS system, right? But there's a, a, there's a wisdom, right, to living in a place for a certain amount of time. You know where to go and you know how to get there. I, I've lived here for seven, eight years now, I still have no idea how to get anywhere. I just like, you know, so I'm the guy that's stuck in traffic all the time. But there, there's a difference, right? Um, how many of you have met somebody that's knowledgeable but not wise? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, don't look around the room, okay? That's, that's not part of the question. But how many of you have met a different kind of person who has a lot of wisdom but not much knowledge, not much kind of like book smart? Yeah, that's true too, right? We know that there's a difference. All of us have, have met this, these kinds of people and, and know that there's, there's a difference here. But the question is, what is wisdom and how do you go about attaining it? That question has been one of the primary questions of the human race for its entire existence. Um, one, one great example of this is in the first century, the time when Jesus lived, uh, there was a, a group of people that claimed to have a lot of wisdom and understanding. And they were telling people about how to gain knowledge and understanding by the way that they lived. They were called Hellenists. They were Greek philosophers. And their basic worldview said that humans are the source of all wisdom and understanding. Humans are. So, so spend time getting, like, just trying to think your way through every possible scenario and situation. And if humans can do it, then it means that it's there. And one of those guys, his name was Protagoras, he said this in 481 B.C. He says, Man is the measure of all things, of things which are that they are, and of things which are not that they are not. In other words, I know the, the language is a little weird there, but in other words what he's saying is, if a human cannot understand something, then it must not exist. And if a human can comprehend something, then it must be. So whatever we decide is, is, and whatever we decide is not, then it must not be. And so humans are the authority of truth in the universe. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, right? I mean, this worldview is still very much at play today. This is the predominant worldview that, that is in our culture and society. 
that if man cannot think it up, then it must not be. And if he can think it up, then it, therefore it must be. But here's the thing. Christianity is entirely the opposite. Christianity says that it's not human wisdom that's the source of all things. It's God's wisdom. God is the source of all wisdom. And so even thinking through society, it's his revelation to us that gives us the vision for how society and culture and family all work. So you think, man, who thought up this thing called the family? And why does it, you know, sometimes it works really well, right? And the, the reason for that is because it was God's vision for us to be united with one another and in community with one another and in societies together and in culture. He's the source of all of it. And because he's the source of wisdom, life is actually to be lived for him and not for ourselves based on his wisdom and not on our wisdom. And so if that's true, if, if Christianity is true in what it says about the wisdom being from God, where in the world did humans get this idea that wisdom could be found somewhere else outside of God's presence? Where did that come from? Yeah, sure, it came from the garden. Because here's the thing, it didn't start with Greek philosophy, it started in the Garden of Eden. And so we, so much of what we do here. You may think, man, we go back to the same story over and over and over again. But it's that story which gives us the understanding of how we arrived at where we were today. So if you remember the story, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, you may eat of every good thing in this garden. I've given it all for you. And, and yet in the middle of the garden, he set up two trees. One was the tree of life that they could eat freely from, and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you some protective wisdom here. I'm going to give you a warning. Don't eat of this other tree, the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, it's going to go very bad for you. You're going to be outside of my care and protection, and it's going to lead to your death, so don't do it. And of course, they were deceived into thinking that they could. And here's what happens in Genesis 3.6. When the woman, that's Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for what? Gaining wisdom. Huh. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So here's the question. Whose wisdom did they ultimately end up trusting in? They trusted in their own, right? They, they essentially saw a way to gain wisdom that was outside of God's uh, source of for wisdom, that he would give them everything that they needed and prove that he had done so, and they looked to get it from a different source. And so the question of whose wisdom we're going to live by uh, is a question that we've been wrestling with right from our very beginning. It's not a new issue. And, and, and this is all of life, right? If you think of all of life, it can be boiled down to this. Whose wisdom are we going to operate under today? That's all of life, Right? Am I going to get up today and operate under my own wisdom or am I going to get up today and operate under God's wisdom? That's a question that we have before us moment by moment by moment. So I want you to keep in mind as we go through this, what is an area of your life that you feel like you need some wisdom for? Where do you feel like you, you're, you're kind of out of answers and you need some help and you need some guiding or some helping wisdom, right? It's not lunch, right? Because we've got that covered for you today. So that one... That one's decided already. You don't need wisdom to know where you're getting lunch today. But maybe you have a financial decision that you need to be able to make. Or maybe you're at a point in your career where you need to decide where to go next. Uh, you may be at a point in, in your schooling uh, what to do and you need some wisdom for that. Or in a relationship. 
And so the question I want to ask you is, where are you going to go to get that wisdom? What's going to be the source for you? Uh, what, and this is important because what the Bible says over and over and over again is that Jesus is for us the source of God's wisdom. How do you know what God's wisdom says in any particular situation? Jesus. That's the answer. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.24, to those whom God has called, his people... Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the source of all wisdom. And so as you think about an area of your life where you need wisdom, who is it that you're going to turn to? And so I hope to present you with a picture where you might actually turn to Jesus. And so we're going to look at God's wisdom in four different ways. I'm going to call them lenses that we can understand God's wisdom and kind of see it at work. And hopefully these will help to give us a full picture of what God's wisdom is like. So we're going to look at the creative wisdom of God. We're going to look at the protective wisdom of God. We're going to look at the guiding wisdom and the foolish wisdom. Creative, protective, guiding, and foolish wisdoms of God. So first is Jesus is the creative wisdom of God. In the Bible, God's creative work is always seen as an expression of his wisdom. And so whenever anyone asks, how do you know that God is wise? How do you know that you can go to him for wisdom? The answer over and over and over again is that you look at how creative God is. You look at his creation. You see what God has done. And you you look at it and you go, man, if God could do that, then God must be pretty wise. Maybe he can figure out a way through my situation. And so a a few examples from, from the Bible that we'll look at is, the first is Psalm 104, uh, 24, which says, how many, of your works, o, how, ma- how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Proverbs 3.19 says, by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. Jeremiah 10.12 says, but God made the earth by his power He founded the world by wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. So wisdom is at work in God's creative ability. But you might ask, okay, well, where does Jesus kind of come into play here? Where is he in this? Amazingly, when you look at the New Testament, what the writers do over and over and over again is that they point all those things back to Jesus and say, actually, it was Jesus who was the one who was doing all the creative work. It was by his hand. A great example of this is in Hebrews 1, verses 10 to 12. And and the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting Psalm 102. So originally you have a psalm that was talking about God's ability to create. And then the writer goes on and he goes, this is true of Jesus. This, This was all written about Jesus. They just didn't know it at the time. And so he says, in the beginning, O Lord... Speaking of Jesus, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never change, never end. You see what he's doing there? He's taking everything that the Old Testament talks about in terms of God's creative wisdom, and he's ascribing it to Jesus. So he's saying Jesus laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of Jesus' hands. Jesus remains the same. He will never end. 
And so here's a, a great activity, actually. If you want something to do to, like, blow your mind in terms of the power of Jesus, go back in the Old Testament and do, like, a word study on where the word wisdom is used in terms of its, God's creative ability and insert the word Jesus instead of wisdom. So, like, if you went back through the ones that we just did, how many of your works, how many are the works, your works, O Lord, in Jesus you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. By Jesus, the Lord laid the foundations of the earth. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by Jesus and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. I mean, it's amazing to think that he was the one that was at work in all of this. Um, yesterday, we, we went out and, uh, for Mandy's birthday, and uh, we went to a, a wildflower reserve. And one of the activities that they had there uh, for little kids, and you know, we're walking around, and Caleb's like, flower, 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 okay? We got to this one part where they had all these dead trees, and, uh, and you could flip all the trees over, and then underneath them kind of find out what was going on underneath them. So there's all kinds of worms and bugs, like perfect for a little kid, you know, a little boy, to like get his hands in and, you know, and hold on to these things and feel them crawl across his hand. And, um, and, and so Mandy goes, and who made the, you know, all of this stuff? Who made the trees and who made the worms? And, and Caleb, of course, goes, Jesus, because that's what, you know, we talk about all the time. And I'm like, how cool is it? I, I like, I, as a father, I want him to grow up and go, man, Jesus is so wise that, that he figured out a way that when a tree falls in the forest, that there are animals ready and waiting for it to, to go down so that they can turn that thing back into mulch and see new life spring out from the middle of it. Like, who thinks of that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, Jesus does. It, I mean, part of the reason is I want him to grow up going, Jesus is the most powerful, the most creative person I could ever know in my entire life. How much more could he do if he could do that? I mean, what problems could stand against me if, if, if I am his and he's mine and he's at work in my life? And that's the creative power of God that works itself out through us. See, Jesus, he knows how life is designed to work because he made it. He's the creator who knows how everything works together. And if we know that, if we trust that, then it leads us to trust him for wisdom in other ways too, doesn't it? So you might say, okay, well, all right, if Jesus is the creative wisdom of God, how do I know he's actually willing to share that wisdom with me? I mean, we all know like wise people, and we go, that's great for them. They're all this, you know, they're these smarty pants and they know how to do everything. But they, they don't necessarily share all that information with us. How do we know that Jesus is different than us? Well, look at John 10 and what Jesus says about himself. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when the sheep uh, when, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's, hired, he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You hear what he's saying? He's saying... I not, I not only have the ability to shepherd my people, I actually shepherd them. 
I lay down my life for them. That's how you know that I'll be willing to share my wisdom with you. It's because I'm present. And I care for my sheep because I own them. And because I own them, they're mine, and I treat them like they're my own. He's not some hired hand that just gets hired from the outside to do a menial work job and then leaves when things get bad. And some of us, we have this interpretation of God like he's there when things are good, and so when things are going good in our life, God must be present. And then when things go bad in our life, we're like, he must be like the hired hand that, that shot out of here when things you know, hit the fan, and now I can't find God anywhere. You hear that's not the case at all. He's the good shepherd. He's with us. And so, thinking through the job of a shepherd, what, what is it a shepherd does? A shepherd both protects and he guides his sheep. He protects them from outside influences and forces like we see with the wolves. And he guides his sheep in the way that they should go so that they would get to the goal that he has for them. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I do for you. So, so let's look at the protective wisdom of God. Jesus is that protective wisdom for us. And if you look at many of Jesus' teachings, he's, he's acting just like a shepherd in that his teachings are shepherding us uh, in a protective way, away from things that he knows will be harmful for us. He's like God in the garden who comes to Adam and Eve and he goes, don't eat of this tree. You can have every single other one. Just don't go here because if you do, it's going to go really bad for you. And, and so Jesus does that over and over again. He gives us multiple examples. One of the best ones, one of the ones I love the most is in Luke 17 when he says this to us. He says, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. It's one of the protective pieces of wisdom from, from Jesus. Because he's saying, if you try to live your life for yourself, if you think that you've earned everything that you have, and because of that you're going to spend it on yourself, then you won't have a life to hold on to. How many of you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about manna in the wilderness? Remember what happened when they tried to store it all up for themselves and gain more for themselves than what God had given them that day? What happened to the manna? It rotted, right? It wasn't anything to hold on to. And when they went back to it the next day, it was spoiled. So in the same way, Jesus is saying, if, you tr if you're trying to live your life for yourself, then you won't have a life to live. He's, see, he's trying to protect us from that. He's saying, you need to live your life for the one who created you, and the one who created you will be the one to protect you. He'll be the one to give you the things that you need. One of the great parables that he shares about this uh, is in Luke 12 when he says this, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. It's a good thing, right? If you got some land and it produces a crop, that's a blessing. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all the grain, all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take like easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That sounds like the American dream right there, right? What's that? Yeah, right. I mean, that sounds like the goal. If you were to say, what is the goal of your life to most people? They're going to be work really hard to gain more than you need so that you have enough to live off of for the rest of your life so that you can take it easy. That is the number one goal of everyone that you live among, all the people that you work among. That is the goal. 
And Jesus is saying, this is what he says to him, but God says to him, you're a fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. See, the lesson is this. Why in the world would we continue to store things up if we have a God who's rich beyond imagination? See, if this guy really believed that there was a God out there who, who had given him everything that he had stored up for himself and then just decided that he was going to give it away as an expression of God's love and generosity in his life to others that needed it most, God probably would have given him more. And yet he decided to build bigger barns to use it all for himself, and God demanded his life from him. He said, now what are you going to do? You've worked really hard for all of this to bless yourself, and now who's going to receive the blessing? Nobody. See, if we're his... Wouldn't it make sense for us that, we would continue, that God would continue to give to us everything that we need and so we could be the most generous people who ever lived and use our life as an expression of God's generosity to us, being generous along with Him because we belong to Him and everything that we have belongs to Him. And because He loves us, He's given it to us and we can give it away to others. See, this is Jesus's protective wisdom of God for us. And the Bible is full of all kinds of examples that are given to shepherd us away from harm. And yet here's the crazy thing. We often reject his protective wisdom, don't we? Jesus, in in wisdom and in love, gives us the way that we should go. He says, I designed life for you to live so that it will go well with you. And then we say back to him, I would rather eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil myself. I would rather have the wisdom for myself to know which way that I should go rather than trusting in your wisdom. And so we reject God's wisdom. Let me ask, so we can dialogue about this for a second. What are some of the other ways that we reject God's protective wisdom? What are some of the protective wisdoms that he gives us that we reject I mean, either personally or, or communally. What about marriage? Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about that one in particular. God, you know, gives us a relationship, and he said, the two of you are to be bound together, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You shall be one flesh. And then he gives us this wonderful gift called intimacy and sex, to enjoy that oneness and create a bond between two people forever and ever. And then we take that bond which he's given us and we give it away to, to, to other people over and over and over again. And every time we do, God's, God's essentially saying, I didn't design it for that. And when you use it outside of that, it bonds you to all these people. And so when you break from them, you actually leave a piece of yourself with it. You ever try to peel a mouse off of a sticky trap? (laughs) Yeah. The reason I use a gross analogy like that is because the trap was used to bond to the mouse, right? So that it would never be able to get off the thing. What happens when you try to release it from the trap? It always leaves something of itself behind. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah, think about that over lunch, right? That's his protective wisdom to us. And then even within marriage, we often use sex as a way to like get our partner to do what it is that we want them to do, or, or we use it for our own self-gratification when God says, no, it's a gift that you would use in order to serve your spouse and express my love for them. So you would care for them physically and spiritually and emotionally through physical intimacy, and we use it for all kinds of of ill things and evil things, and then we wonder why it is that we have a bad relationship with our spouse. It's because we're spurning, we're rejecting God's wisdom. Or we're in a marriage relationship and we spend time looking at things elsewhere that, that we know we shouldn't be looking at, and then every time we do, our soul feels a little less connected to our spouse and a little less connected to God and more shame. It's God's protective wisdom that you would use your sexuality towards your spouse to serve them in love. And it goes bad for us when we don't do it that way, right? What, what else? Some other protective wisdoms of God that we reject. Fear. Fear. What, in what way? most prevalent command in the Bible is what? Don't fear, right? And it's always in relationship to who God is. So the more that we know God, the less we should fear. And yet fear is really a a way for us to gain control over the situation because we don't want God's protective presence in our life. And so the result is fear. Every time you reject God, you are left out on your own, and the result will always be fear and anxiety and worry. Yeah. And God's saying, I didn't design it for you that way. I designed you to be in relationship with me, to be close with me, so that you wouldn't have to fear. The whole reason that the disciples don't need to fear in the boat when the storm is raging is because Jesus is in the boat. You know that, right? Like, if Jesus weren't in the boat, they should be freaking out. (laughs) You know? Because a bunch of them were fishermen. I'm sure that they knew guys who used to fish with them who lost their lives in the same sea with the same kind of storm. So yeah, they had enough to fear other than the fact that Jesus was in the boat with them. And Jesus said, because I'm in the boat, I have control over the storm, therefore you shouldn't fear. Now what else? Yeah, I mean, you think of coveting, right? Why do we covet? It's because we see somebody else who has something. We think that we should have the same thing or better. And so because we we don't feel complete until we have what others have because they look a little bit more complete, than we do because they have it. We think, man, if I had that thing, then I would be just as complete as them. Inside, they're probably rotting just as much as you are because they're looking at somebody else that has something greater than you do. And they're thinking the same thing about somebody else that has something that they want. And all of it is a rejection of God because if we really believed that God was a good father and gave us everything that we need when we needed it, we wouldn't covet, right? And so, in a sense, what we're doing is we're placing something else above God and saying, I need this more than you, and so I'm going to covet it because I don't believe that you give me every good thing. And God's going, I've given you all the good things. I'll continue to give you everything that you need if you trust me. And yet we reject that wisdom, right? I mean, we could go on and on and on, and I hope you, like, even if you didn't say something, you probably got something in your mind about ways that you've rejected the wisdom of God. So I would encourage you this way, take hold of Jesus' protective wisdom. Because when God speaks protective wisdom to us in Christ, we can be sure that that's exactly what we need when we need it. 
Jesus is the good shepherd, he says. He's going to shepherd you in the way that you should go if you just listen to him. So that's the protective wisdom. The other side of that would be the guiding wisdom. That there are things that God guides us towards that are good things, and that Jesus is the guiding wisdom of God. Who is um, often talked about as the most wise person who's ever lived? King Solomon, right? Do you know how he got so wise? Trial and error, yeah. (laughs) He prayed for it. Do you know what he prayed for specifically? Do you ever read the story? He, He prays specifically that he might be able to hear from God. We often think that, that, you know, Solomon wanted wisdom, and so he went to God and he said, God, can you give me wisdom? And God said, okay, I'll give you wisdom so that you'll know how to lead. What Solomon actually prays for is he goes, God, I want to be able to hear from you. Don't, don't let me get so far away from you that your voice becomes clouded to me because you have called me to lead your people. And if I don't hear from the God who these people belong to, then I will have no ability to lead them in the way that they should go. I need you because you're the real king. That's in the, the story? Um, that is in Second Samuel. Um, and, and so... In response to that cry, God, let me hear your voice. God says in response to him, I will give you wisdom. See, again, there is no wisdom apart from the voice of God because God is the source of all wisdom. And so often we think we can go, you know, ask God for wisdom and then study somewhere else, and then God's going, I'd love to give you some wisdom, and our ears are plugged to him because we're looking for it from somewhere else. And so... The Bible says that he asked God because he knew that he needed it from God. And because, he, because of that, Solomon actually got so wise that rulers from all over the world would travel just to sit at Solomon's feet and go, can you just give me some of this wisdom that you have? And Solomon would tell them all these pieces of wisdom and then they would go away so that they'd know how to lead their people and be good husbands and, and fathers and wives and, and so on. And fortunately for us, many of Solomon's wisdoms were actually written down in in something called Proverbs. Proverbs is God's guiding wisdom written down for his people. And and so this is what it says about the the book of uh, Proverbs in in chapter 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so Proverbs is is a great source for wisdom because it's given to, to give us insight into how to actually make decisions. In, in which way that we should go. And the cool part is there's actually 31 Proverbs or chapters in Proverbs, so you can read one a day and get through the whole book in a month. And I would encourage you to do that, actually. But where Adam and Eve are saying, you know, we can get wisdom from ourselves. We, we, we can trust in ourselves to get it. We can decide for ourselves. Solomon's saying over and over again, that ability comes from God alone. And so he wrote them down. 
And so Proverbs actually deals with every area of life. Moral choices, worship, parenting, money, friendships, work ethic, marriage, anger, lust, fear, rest. I mean, all kinds of areas of life. And here's the common thread, that for each of these areas, it shows us that there are two ways that we can live our lives. There are two ways that we can go. There is a way that, le- that, that is evil, which leads to death. And there is a way of wisdom and righteousness that leads to life and closeness with God. And the wise person, with the help of God's Spirit, chooses that way, the way of wisdom and not their own. And here... So many of us, we, we, we want to hear from God. We, we want his guiding wisdom in our life, but we aren't actually willing to like pray and listen to his guidance in our life. And if we would do that long enough, what we would hear is that he's actually telling us which path we should go on and which one that we should not. Do you know that protective, that guiding wisdom in your life? Do you know where to find it? Do you know where to to go to look for it. See, you'll never hear his guiding wisdom if you don't spend time listening to his voice. What did Jesus say about being the good shepherd and those who are his? They know my voice. They know what I sound like. And so when I cry out to them, even if there are a number of other voices going on in the environment around my sheep, they'll be able to thread through all of them and pick out the one that's mine. Do you have that ability? And do you go to him as the good shepherd? One of the ways that you know is, is where you spend most of your time looking for wisdom. Where do you get most of your wisdom from? I mean, do you spend more time listening to Oprah than to your Bible? Do you get most of your wisdom from your coworkers or your non-believing friends? And, what, and their advice for what you should do and the way that you should go. I mean, we listen to all kinds of voices, right? We talked about that before. Which voices are you listening to? Which ones are the ones that you spend your time? See, the guidance is primarily attained through God's word. He wrote it down for us so that we would listen to it and be able to respond to it. God also gives us wise counsel. So I would say, are you in relationship with people that are also studying God's word and trying to help one another figure it out and apply it to your life? Are you in a life group? Are you in a missional community? Are you doing life alongside of other people that are heading in the same direction that you are so that you'd have some guiding wisdom in your life or or are you tossed to and fro by every wave that comes along? And you get up one day and you go, maybe I should do this. And then you talk to this person and you go, well, maybe I should do this. See, you know because you have some guiding wisdom in your life and you have have the ability to to then apply God's wisdom to a specific area. So let me ask, what, what is some of the guiding wisdom that you need for your life? What are some areas, I had you think about this earlier, but what are some areas in your life where you feel like you need some guiding wisdom? What's going on right now? Here's where you've got to be a little open and honest with the family, right? Finances. Finances, right. Okay. So like a financial decision, yeah, what to do with money. Children, yeah, parenting. Whew, man. Talk about needing some wisdom, right? If you, if you want to know how little you know, just ha- have a kid, right? <laughs> 
very soon you'll be like, I have no idea what life is about and how to navigate through it, right? Yeah, Glenn. Relationship. Relationship. Okay. Yeah. Spirituality. Yeah, spirituality. Okay. Yeah. Work. So then I would ask, wh- where are you going to, to find the answers for the way that you should operate in those things? I mean, like, just the easy one that I just picked out is just financially, you know? Are, are, you, are you learning to, to save and to give like God says that we should be doing as his people? Are, are we practicing generosity with our, our money? Are we are we trying to get ourselves out of debt? Or are we just continuing to accrue more and more debt? Even though Proverbs says that the, the, when you borrow money, you're enslaved to the person that you borrow it from. So are we holding on to the protective and the guiding wisdom of God? And then, so God's word has a lot to say in terms of, of us gaining general wisdom. But if that weren't enough, Jesus says, there is a, a specific guiding wisdom that I give too. I don't just give general wisdom. I actually speak to my people. That's, that's where it gets crazy, right? It, it's one thing to know that God wrote everything down for you and then you can read it. It's a totally different thing to know that you can read his word and that God would go, here's what to do. He actually, and do you know that? He actually takes his word and through his spirit he applies it specifically to your heart so that you'd walk away and go, God just spoke to me. Do you spend time listening to his word? When we talk about the rhythm of listening, we, we often talk about listening backwards and forwards. And we, we listen backwards through his word, and we should be spending time doing that. But God actually speaks to us today through his spirit. So we, do we spend time sitting and listening for God's wisdom, for, for him to speak to us? I've I, I got to say, this is a rhythm that I just started uh, doing a lot more of recently and, and spending more time just getting away, removing myself from, from distraction, and just sitting down with my Bible and my journal and going, okay, God, I believe that you're with me. I believe that you're my dad. I believe that you have good things planned for me and for our people. Speak. Guide me. Tell me what to go, what to do. And I'll actually list names of specific people that are in my life, and I'll say, where do you want me to go with this situation? What do you want me to do? I need some wisdom, and I'm going to listen to you for it. And here's the, here's the awesome thing. God's speaking. He actually gives direction. Do you know that? Have you experienced that as his people? That the, the Lord of the universe would actually speak specifically to you and move you to do something specific. It's incredible when it happens. You have to ask. Yeah. Jesus said, seek and and the answer will be given to you. If you don't knock, the door's not going to get opened, right? How many times are we knocking on that door, believing in our hearts and with our minds and with our hands that that the God of the universe is actually present in our life and going, Dad, I need some wisdom from you today. Will you give it to me, please? Yeah, I know. We can spend time listening to God. God can give us wisdom and we can go, Nah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that must have been pizza from last night, you know? 
That couldn't have been God speaking to me. And, and yeah, but I was going to say, and then do we, do we take the small step of faith? And then as we do, here's the thing. God, God says, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. So if I've given you little and you're faithful with it, guess what? I'm going to give you more. So listen in to me. And if you listen in and you're faithful to do what I tell you to do, I'm going to give you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And here's often the thing that we want so desperately. We want God to speak to us in the big things. We want him to, like, give us a revelation for, like, the next 20 years. God, would you just, like, open the floodgates and the doors? Like, give 30,000-foot view. Let me see everything that's to come. And God goes, I gave you a little bit of wisdom to be faithful to walk in, the, in one step. Why would I show you 10 miles down the road if you haven't been faithful with the one step, right? But we get ahead of ourselves and we think that God owes us the ability to, to speak to us so that we would know everything. And again, it just goes back to the tree, right? We want the knowledge of good and evil. We want to see it for ourselves. We want the wisdom rather than to trust in the source of that wisdom, And the source of that wisdom loves to give his children wisdom. He says, this is the path. Take the step. And then we go, I don't want to take the step. And God goes, okay, well, I'm not giving you a second one until you're faithful with the first one, right? Are we faithful with the first step? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus often says what? We should come to him like what? Children. How many of you have kids? When they want something, how often do they ask you for it? <laughs> I want it. 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 You're like, okay, I'll just I'll give it to you because you're asking me for it. And, and Jesus says, if you who are evil give your children good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give to those he loves and cherishes? See, and yet we refuse to come like little children. We, we come once, and then our wisdom, we go, well, we didn't get it. I must not have asked for the right thing, or I must not have asked in the right way, or, or whatever. And Jesus is going, keep on asking. Like, come to me and ask me for it. Because I love to give good gifts, but come to me as a kid, believing that I'm going to give it to you. If you really believed that God had everything and was going to give you everything, you'd ask a whole lot more of him. You would. Yeah, he'll either, he'll either remind us to have faith or he'll use some other means that's like totally disconnected from where we asked to confirm that we asked in the right way. He'll bring those two things together and, go, and you'll see the connection and go, man, I, I'm going to ask again because God may confirm again this is the very same thing that I asked for. Yeah, it takes a cultivation of listening, right, in order to hear. Yeah, it does. It takes intentionality, yeah. And, so, and, and we can have so many other voices in our life. Even when you sit down to read the Bible, if you've got your phone next to it, and that thing goes off with like, here's what so-and-so is doing on Facebook. Oh, really? You know? <laughs> and we go, why don't I hear from God? Well, it's, it's because we're so distracted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you need to like God on Facebook, and then you'll be able to hear from him. I don't know. All right, so the last one that, see, you guys are giving too many answers. I'm going to go over time, and then somebody's going to blame me for going over time. It's your fault. I'm listening to you, right? The last one is that, that, that Jesus is the foolish wisdom of God. 
Um, I'm going to fast forward down to the, to the end of it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 through 8, it says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Earlier, what Paul says is that the foolishness of God is actually his wisdom because it seems foolish to the world. I mean, how foolish is it that, that when creation rebelled against the, the giver of life and the Lord of the universe, God, through his Son, sent him to the world to die the death that that rebellion gained for us? It's foolishness, right? That, that God would come in the form of a human and pay our penalty on our behalf so that there's nothing that we would do to earn and gain his approval, but everything that we need is found in his son, and his son gives his life for us in exchange for our rebellious life. See, that's the foolish message of the cross, that Jesus is actually the one to clean up our mess for us, to atone for our sins on our behalf. So he takes our mistakes and our sin and our foolish attempts to live for ourselves and he bears them upon himself. He bears the penalty of it upon himself. And now because Jesus did that, we can actually be free from the burden of our own foolishness and have his wisdom living and active in us. And so here's the amazing thing that happens when we rest in the foolishness of God. Do you know what happens? we actually get access to all the other wisdom of God. Because of God's foolish wisdom, we get his creative wisdom in our lives. I mean, how many of you go to work and you're like, I'm going to be the most creative person today because God's spirit is living and active in me. And so I know that he's going to be working today and so I can rest in him and know that God's going to do an amazing work in me and through me and that other people are going to be able to see it. See, it, he'll have the... the protective wisdom in our lives through it too because we'll come up against situations in our life and we won't just know that they're wrong and that we shouldn't do them. We'll know that they're bad for us and that they harm our relationship with God and we'll go, I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't do that because it's going to lead me down a path I should not go. And we get the, the guiding wisdom of God in our life when that happens too. We get everything that's his becomes ours. So I want to say this, if you haven't given yourself over to God's foolish wisdom of the cross, how's the alternative going for you? How's it going? Would you be willing to exchange your life for the wisdom of God? Because that's what he offers to all of us. And if that weren't enough, I'm going to end on this. God's plan has always been for his wisdom to be displayed in his people. This is where it gets truly crazy. Look at what Ephesians 3.10 says. His intent was that now through who? The church. How many of you believe that you're the church? Church isn't a building, right? It's not a place. It's not an organization. It is a people. You are the church. It was his intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. You are the display of God's wisdom in the world. Your foolish life exchanged for God's wisdom declares God's infinite manifold wisdom 
It, that word manifold means great variety. It's like a color palette, you know, that ha- has all kinds of beautiful colors weaved into it. And what he's saying is the life of the church is like a beautiful painting that expresses God's wisdom to the point where even the angels look in on it and go, that's nuts. I mean, look what God was able to do. He took a broken and sinful and rebellious people and he changed them from the inside in, inside out and, and made them new so that they would be his people and submit to his rule and display what he's like to the world. Isn't God incredible? And you can bet that if the angels are looking in and saying that, isn't God awesome that the world is doing the very same thing? We're to be a picture of God's wisdom by the way that we live. And while the angels might look in and go, man, isn't God great because they know God and they know the story? Our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers are looking in on the church, and when they see God's wisdom at work, they're going, what in the world is wrong with you people? Like, why does my coworker show up and humbly submit themselves to others and promote their best interest even though it might harm their own? It's as if they believe that every need of theirs will be cared for even if they don't have a job. Where does that come from? Why does my neighbor way beyond generous of anyone that I've ever known and she serves me as if nothing is her own? And that everything will be given to her. Where does that come from? See, we, we should be the wisdom of God for dis, on display for all to see. That was God's intent for us as we submit to his wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And when we're his, we become his picture of wisdom to the world. So I want to ask you, church, is that happening for us? Is it happening? And we... If it's not, then, then we need to go back to the source of wisdom and find it in him and submit ourselves to him. So I'm going to call you to the communion table and say, take in the wisdom of God this morning. Ask him to exchange your foolish life for his wise life. Because through his body broken for you and his blood shed for you, he's given you everything necessary that you might hear from him and know the protective and guiding wisdom of God, that you would be a display of his foolish wisdom to the world. So let's look to him and pray, okay? Father, thank you that we get to be your people. Thank you that even though we looked for and wanted to choose for ourselves wisdom in other places, you and your wisdom, which looks like foolishness to us, ran after us in your Son the very image, the very person of wisdom came down for us and gave his life on our behalf so that we could become your children and display the mark of what it looks like to be in your family. So so God, help us to hunger and thirst for the wisdom that comes from you and from your word. Help us to be people that just press in and come to you like children to hear from you and to know the way that we should go and help us, God, to be this peculiar people of yours that would look differently to the world so that we could be able to tell the world what you're like. We pray in Christ's name.